Number three of The Heart of a Mystery by L. T. Mead and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Number three, The Tiger's Claw, Part One. Mademoiselle Delacorte had now twice attempted my life. From the manner, the words, and the actions of the unfortunate girl who had committed suicide in the moment of failure, this was abundantly evident. I shall put the matter into the hands of the authorities, I said to myself and when my friend Jack hurried to England, I remained behind at Lisbon. On the afternoon of the day of my arrival, I called upon the British consul. He received me courteously, and I need scarcely describe his amazement when I explained my position. I am a witness to all that occurred, I said to him, and my friend Tracy is prepared to return to Portugal at any time to bear me out. I trust, sir, I added, that you will give me your advice and assistance, for truly I am in a position of grave danger. There is no doubt whatever with regard to that, was his reply. I had a letter this morning from Monsieur Ayres, the French consul, informing me that Mademoiselle Delacorte was here. Here, I cried, starting to my feet, and a cold sensation running through my frame. Yes, Mr. Finesse, she is staying with the Duchess of Almeida now. That terrible woman has friends everywhere in the highest positions, and I may as well tell you, you would find it extremely difficult to substantiate the charge of conspiracy against a lady in her position. Her influence, too, is very great, and although the authorities are civility itself to the English, you know, my dear sir, they are very slow, phenomenally slow. Position and court influence can do anything here when backed by money. Mademoiselle Delacorte is known. You are unknown. I think it is most unwise of you to have come to Portugal. Why? I asked. Well, in the first instance there is no capital punishment here, and in the next money will do practically everything. You are, believe me, far safer on English soil. This is a very serious matter, and I am sorry for you. But can you help me? I asked with some impatience. He paused, silent for a moment, evidently thinking deeply. I can do nothing, he said then. It is out of my power to work in the dark and against such a foe as Mademoiselle Delacorte. But there is one man who might render you assistance. He is a Portuguese, and a personal friend of mine, and he is engaged by the government in many secret international inquiries. You may trust him absolutely. He is a very smart man, and speaks almost every European language. In short, you will find him an excellent fellow. This is his name and address. I should go and see him at once. I took the slip of paper he gave me. On it was written, José da Fandeca Pinheiro, Avenida da Liberdade, 32A. Thanking the British consul, I went at once to the address. I found myself standing before one of the finest houses in the beautiful avenue. It was set back from the road and surrounded by a garden, in which many magnificent palms were growing. A liveried servant answered my ring and ushered me into the presence of his master. The Portuguese are noted for their excellent dress, but I had rarely seen anyone so perfectly attired. Senor Pinheiro was refinement personified, from his white almond-shaped nails and jeweled fingers to his pointed and polished boots. On explaining who I was, he handed me a chair and seated himself at a desk, upon which lay a heap of official-looking papers and a large revolver. As he laid his left hand on the table, I noticed with astonishment that two of the fingers were wanting. 
I was almost expecting you, Mr. Finesse, he said, speaking in perfect English, and stroking his pointed beard. She is a clever woman, isn't she? Whom do you mean? I exclaimed in astonishment. I mean Mademoiselle de la Corte, of course, he replied. I know something of your case, sir. What? You know Mademoiselle de la Corte? I know her well. I have met her in Paris, Berlin, Vienna, St. Petersburg, and I was dining with her at the Duchess of Almeida's last night. And you know about my special case? I know of the attempt made on your life a few days ago at Sintra. I was at Government House when the police telegraphed the news. There will be an inquiry, of course. But apart from that, I can astonish you by telling you that I knew of your escape from the Chateau La Roque. The affair was communicated to all the European detective agencies. You astound me, I cried, but at the same time a pleasant feeling of security stole over me. I felt that here, indeed, I had a good friend. Of course you are mad to have left England, continued Pingero. But do you know, Mr. Finesse, I am glad that you have come. He spoke in a curious tone and looked me full in the face. Why? I asked. Because, he said, bending towards me, and with the fist of his crippled hand tightly clenched, because it is the one desire of my life to see that woman in chains. The sudden transformation in the man's face was extraordinary. All the passion of his hot Latin blood, which only boils at some personal wrong, showed now in his voice, his eyes, and his features. Nothing, he continued, would give me greater pleasure than to see Mademoiselle Delacourt exposed in her true character, than to see her driven in disgrace from the European courts. But if that is effected, it means also her imprisonment. I can't help admiring her, sometimes, he continued, a grim smile playing round his lips. She is, I think, mad. No one who was not mad could be so devilish clever. You have some personal animosity against her, I presume, I continued. He held up his crippled hand. I owe that to her, he said, in a low voice. Some day I will tell you how it happened. Well, I said, what can you do for me? I can bring valuable witness to testify to the truth of my story. The suicide of Miss Hamilton is a fact well authenticated at Sintra. How can you protect me in future? I am young, innocent, I love life, and I don't want to fall a victim to the knife of the assassin. You are right, he replied. As he spoke, he rose and drew himself up to his full height. Mr. Finesse, he said, this arrival of yours means a complete change in my own life. You are in difficulty, and I will not deny it in extreme danger. Now you will not object to my joining you in this matter. It will cost nothing, and you will have the advantage of my experience and knowledge in the hunting down of this woman. You, the hunted, shall turn hunter, and we will rid Europe of a pestilential and powerful malefactor. I grasped his hand. You mean this, Signor Pinheiro? I asked. I was never more serious in my life. The whole of my energies shall be directed to this object. Mademoiselle, I know, has gone from Lisbon. Therefore, for the time, you are perfectly safe. In fact, you are safer here than anywhere else. Stay on for the present and enjoy yourself while I mature my scheme. With delight, I murmured, and a vast burden seemed lifted from my mind at the thought of having this shrewd and clever man to work with me to protect me from dangers that I should never see, and, still more, to help me to deliver Mademoiselle Delacourt 
into the hands of justice. It seemed almost too good to be believed. Well, he said, having made our decision, we will enjoy ourselves until the time for action arrives. You shall see all that Lisbon has to show to the stranger, and you will meet all the people worth meeting. Tomorrow we will combine business with pleasure, and I will take you to call upon the Duchess of Almeida at her castle at Estoril, a lovely spot at the mouth of the river on the seashore. I am dining out tonight, or I would ask you to come here. Where are you staying? At Duran's hotel, I said. Very good. I will expect you at eleven tomorrow morning, and I will drive you over to the castle to breakfast. It was many days since I had enjoyed a meal as I did my solitary dinner that night at my hotel. A great light had broken. I had found a friend of evident ability, a man in touch with all the European police, au courant with diplomatic affairs, and moving in the best Portuguese society. There had been no acting in his sudden outburst of passionate hatred against Mademoiselle Delacourt. I felt sure that if ever a time came when he was in a position to pay off his debt to her, she would receive little mercy. No race can be kinder, more sympathetic, and gentle than the Portuguese, but none can be more devilishly cruel and vindictive when they avenge a personal wrong. Mademoiselle would soon see that Signor Pinheiro was working on my side, and this fact would in itself prevent molestation. I went round early the next morning to Signor Pinheiro's house, for I was impatient to see him again and assure myself of the fact that he was altogether on my side. He was standing on the steps of his handsome house, evidently waiting for me. Just ready, he said gaily. Come along, the dog cart is coming round. By the way, he added, as we got in and he took the reins and drove off at a spanking pace, the Duchess does not speak English, and as you do not know Portuguese well, you had better talk to her in French. I can do that, I answered. We were now going down the Rua Auguste and out by the Boa Vista embankment. Our way lay along the Tagus, which was covered with numerous craft and abounding with life and animation. Picturesque mountains lined the opposite banks. In less than an hour we reached Almeida Castle, a grand old building still retaining its Moorish architecture. The castle was surrounded in front by magnificent gardens of palms and pines, while the back of the building ran down onto the sand by the seashore, in which the buttresses were deeply embedded. As we drove out, Signor Pinheiro gave me a short account of the old place. The castle had been a Moorish fortress until 1147, when Alfonso Henriques, the first king of Portugal, assisted by other crusaders bound for Palestine, surrounded Lisbon, then in the hands of the Moors, and after five months' hard fighting, he entered the city in triumph. After this, the house was given by him to his valiant lieutenant, the first Duke of Almeida, in whose family it has remained ever since. Pinheiro informed me that the house was full of treasures presented to the family by the celebrated Vasco da Gama on his return from India in 1499. Remember, he said as we stopped at the house, I am introducing you as a friend of Mademoiselle de la Corte's. But why? I interrupted in great surprise. Because, he answered, in no other way can you get information about her. She is, as I have already said, one of the cleverest women in Europe. 
my friends here also believe her to be an impersonification of all the virtues and if they think that you are a friend of hers they can talk freely we were shown into a magnificent sala overlooking the sunlit sea where we were received by the duchess and her daughter the marquesa ferraz both ladies welcomed pinheiro with effusion and me with kindly warmth portuguese girls are as a rule not good-looking but the young marquesa was an exception of the most striking kind she was tall and slender with the extreme bloom of youth on her softly rounded cheeks with dark lustrous eyes and grace in her every movement but the extraordinary thing about her was this she had a remarkable likeness to mademoiselle de la corte so striking was this likeness that i caught myself looking at her again and again a sensation almost of repulsion came over me as i did so although the likeness between the marquesa and mademoiselle de la corte only applied to features and not at all to expression for the young girl had a frank and lovely face full of kindness and good nature while senor Pinheiro talked to the duchess the marquesa came and took a seat near to me so you know mademoiselle de la corte monsieur finesse she said speaking with a most charming french accent and using that tongue mademoiselle is one of my greatest friends mother and i have often stayed with her in paris certainly she is one of the cleverest women i have ever met did you happen to see her on her flying visit to lisbon no i answered was her visit a very short one of course it was answered the marquesa that gay mademoiselle never stays long in one place she thinks nothing of visiting half the european capitals in less than three weeks on pleasure or business i asked pleasure of course just to visit her numerous friends but she certainly always talks about business mother and i quite laugh at her about it such a speech is so like a parisian why one of those dear creatures will go half over europe to buy a new tea-gown but how do you like the portuguese monsieur finesse signor pinheiro tells me this is your first visit yes my first i answered i do not know lisbon well but sintra is very beautiful as i mentioned the latter place i could not help giving an involuntary shudder oh yes beautiful but so dull no one ever goes there now by the way are you interested in old curios we have a wonderful collection from india shall i show them to you before we go to breakfast i should like nothing better i replied then we shall leave mother and signor pinheiro to discuss the latest lisbon scandals the signor knows every one and everything and is so awfully clever between ourselves i am a little afraid of him the true charm of portuguese society lies in the power the host has to make his visitors at home in a few minutes the marquesa was showing me all over the beautiful house and chatting about the treasures her face full of animation and her eyes bright presently we entered the drawing-room where the vasco da gama curios were kept they were of great rarity and value carved ivories elephant goods rare gold ornaments set with jewels and magnificent jade bowls one piece in especial attracted my attention it was a hindu headdress of great magnificence it was chiefly made of finely woven silks of various shades the colour strengthened by plates of gold thread and surmounted by four of the most enormous tiger's claws i had ever seen these were set but with their sharp points outwards like four horns 
ah you are admiring that headdress said the marchesa coming over to where i was standing is it not curious and wonderful it was the first thing francesca pounced on when she came to examine the curios she was quite thrilled with it and examined it most carefully it looks rather a dangerous sort of headdress if you wanted to kiss the lady i could not help remarking those claw points are sharp as needles that was the very point remarked by francesca there is an old legend attached to this headdress it was worn by the favorite lady in the nizam's zanana who in resisting the embraces of a young prince scratched him with one of the claws and the young prince died i long to wear that headdress and intend to do so very soon indeed i said yes i'm going to wear the headdress and in this very house she said merriment dancing in her eyes have you not heard has not signor pinero told you that next week is our great fancy dress masked ball we always give one before the carnival it is the greatest possible fun would you like to come you should see one portuguese masked ball before you go away i should be delighted i replied only i'm afraid i should have some difficulty in getting a suitable dress not at all signor pinero is sure to have plenty yes you must come and then you will see me in this wonderful headdress i shall look so quaint with that in the mask we presently returned to the room where we had left the duchess and signor pinero and breakfast being ready we sat down to it on the terrace my spirits rose the excellence of the meal and the conversation of our brilliant and witty hostess the charming ways and pretty speeches of her daughter the warm and soft air the waving palms and the sparkling sea banished all dark memories i am so glad to make your acquaintance monsieur finesse said the duchess come down here and see us whenever you are tired of lisbon and want a few hours of fresh air in any case we shall expect you both at the ball on tuesday night well said pinero as we took our seats in the trap they are charming people are they not did you make any judicious inquiries concerning mademoiselle i talked about her a great deal i replied but learnt very little beyond the self-evident fact that she is a great friend of the marquesas she paid them a flying visit so the marquesa told me and for apparently no reason that is so like her answered pinero that pretty girl seems deeply attached to her i continued by the way pinero have you ever noticed the extraordinary likeness between them a curious change came over the face of the portuguese and when i spoke he suddenly clapped his hand on his knee now that you mention it i do see it he replied when looking at the marquesa i was often puzzled by an intangible likeness her face was familiar to me not on its own account alone you have solved the mystery my dear finesse we must be on our guard it is exactly the sort of thing that mademoiselle would take advantage of what do you mean i asked ah i wish i could tell you what i mean the craftiness and cleverness of that woman baffles all description there is no clue she will not seize and no possible accident she will not avail herself of one thing at least is evident i said the duchess and her daughter have not the slightest suspicion of her i told you so and therein also lies danger mademoiselle's great power lies in the fact that she can turn men and women too round her finger but never mind added pinero glancing at me and doubtless perceiving the anxiety on my face you and i together will be more than a match for her i cheered up at these few words and the next few days were passed in the most enjoyable manner the signor introduced me to many charming people and took me to all the sights of lisbon 
He seldom referred to Mademoiselle Delacourt, and once, when I spoke of her, he replied shortly, Don't worry. Leave the thing to me. I will tell you one thing. Although I don't speak of that fair lady, she is seldom absent from my thoughts. I am laying my plan slowly and cautiously, and when the moment comes to act, I will let you know. End of number three, part one.